All right, as you guys are making your way back to your seats, we have a guest preacher this morning, our very own Jackson Freed. Yeah? We're excited to have him bringing the word this morning. He is husband to Erica, our One Kids director, a dog dad, and most importantly, a captain of our One Church softball team who dominated the Jesus League this season. So stay tuned for next season, uh, come around next summer, but go ahead and give Jackson a warm welcome this morning. Well, thank you, Jamie. Um, That was very kind of you. I am a dog dad, by the way. Um, The breeders told us he was going to be like 30 pounds. He's 60 pounds. And he's insane. Um, Also, if you guys didn't know, we did win the uh, softball championship. Um, We scored 40 runs on the team. And uh, I may have recruited a little heavily, but uh, I I wanted to win. So that was what we were going to do. Um, again, thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, thank you guys for coming today and spending today um, with us at church. Um, I'm not Andy, uh, just to let you guys know that. Um, Andy has a little bit of ways with theatrics, if you guys didn't know. He texted me last uh, yesterday morning at 9.30 in the morning, and he says, bro. I said, uh, yes. He goes, you're preaching tomorrow. Um, so I had 24 hours to prepare to do this. So um, to say I'm nervous, that's an understatement. Um, but I trust the Lord in his timing. And um, so please show me some grace. I had 24 hours to prepare for this sermon, if that's all right with you. Um, but again, I'm really excited to preach today. Um, and I just want to give you a little preface before I get into everything. Um, I wasn't trained. I didn't go to ministry school. No one showed me how to preach and how to teach and put a three-point sermon together and have an analogy at the beginning and tie it at the very end and have a nice bow and present it to you. No one showed me how to do that. This is just by trial and error and years and years of pursuing and loving the Lord with everything that I have and surrendering myself to Him. So I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. And whether you've heard the gospel 2,000 times or this might be your first time, the truth is we can never graduate from the gospel. It's the bedrock of our salvation and our faith. And so I'm going to preach to you as a dying man to a dying people and point you to the one who truly saves. Um, For those of you who do not know me, um, eight and a half years ago, Andy was the one that led me to Christ. It was in Clay Terrace in the Qdoba parking lot on December 30th. You know, Qdoba is just precious. Qdoba and Chipotle. Um, But I, I I will never forget this. He sits me down in his car. And this will tie into what we're going to tonight. Um, But he sits me in my car and he says, have you given your life to Jesus yet? Now, I didn't grow up in the church. I I didn't know any part of this. And quite honestly, I really didn't want Jesus. But he wanted everything to do with me. And so he pursued me and he got me to this point with Andy. And he says, have you given your life to Jesus? I said, no, what do I do? Pray with me. And so he prayed and I surrendered my life to him. And so I've been running with Andy um, and with ministry ever since. So it is an honor to be where he is. And how great how great has Andy been? Um, just want to give him a shout out. I know he's watching right now. Um, but again, welcome and uh, welcome to the ones online. Um, let me pray and then we will get into the sermon, all right? Jesus, we love you. I want to say thank you for today. 
Um, I pray for the ones who are here and online. I pray that they are gripped by you, Jesus. That you alone are worshipped. You alone are magnified and glorified. And that we come to a realization that yet we are sinners, but you have came and died for us. I pray that you speak through me and remove me and remove whatever I have to say that should not be said and just give me everything that needs to be said for the congregation and for the ones online. I surrender this time to you. We submit ourselves to you and we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So, because I had 24 hours, I have no slides. So, um, we're going to go the old school way. If you guys would get your Bibles out. Let's go to Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. How about that, the old way, getting Bibles out? Whoever's got a phone, the little, those little demons, my goodness, um, you can get your phones out as well and go to Luke chapter 18. They're, they're distractions. That's what, that's what I meant, right? So go Luke chapter 18, 18 through 27. So this is the story about a young rich ruler a young man, he comes to Jesus and he asks him a pretty important question. But before we get into it, before we start reading, I always like to provide a little bit of context to what we're reading. Because when we open up the scripture, whether we've read the Bible for years and years and years, or we maybe really don't know how to read the Bible, we need to understand context. Who wrote it? When was it written? Why was it written? What was the reader's intent for the, for the listener to understand? We need to understand that because we can all sit here and we can shopping cart and pick maybe a verse or two and kind of put it in our argument. But in the end, we really have to understand the whole picture and the context of what we're reading. Does that make sense? So Luke was an apostle of Paul. He was actually Paul's right-hand man, which is found in Acts. And the chapters prior to this, Luke is recounting, he's writing to a man called Theophilus or Theophilius. Some scholars kind of debate back and forth. But he's writing to a man called Theophilius, giving him an account of Jesus and his, and his life and ministry. In these last few verses and chapters before this one, he's recounting Jesus' teachings on righteousness, on faithfulness, duty, mercy, um, humility, money, wealth. And then we get to the young, rich ruler coming to Jesus and asking a question. And this question is something you and I have all asked in our life. So let me read. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go basically a couple verses by couple verses, and we're just going to dissect together, okay? So I'm going to start with verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, the young man, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. How many of you have heard this passage passage before or read this passage before. It's pretty famous. Absolutely. But I want to first focus 
on the very first sentence that the question of the young rich ruler asked the question to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me focus on the word good just for, just for a second. You see, during biblical times, no rabbi was ever titled good teacher. Why? Because in that time, good means without sin, fully righteous. So what this young man is doing is he is saying to Jesus, you are without sin, you are fully righteous. You have the answer, is what he's saying. Jesus questions him on it because he even understands how odd of a title this was given to him. Because he knew that all rabbis never had that title. So what does he do? He questions him. He says, good. Why do you call me good? No one is good. No, not one, except God alone. And what comes out of the next breath of the man is shocking. He says, I'm good too. Well, if Christ is absolutely perfect, without sin, without fault, and he just tells this young man, no one's good except God, what did he just do? He says, same. I am too. How many of us, either today in this room or outside these four walls, have that same posture? If you were to go up to someone on the street, let me just ask you this, and you say, hey man, are you going to heaven? It's kind of just a general question for them, right? What are they going to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, then if you ask them a second question, you'd say, well, what makes you think that? They'll say, well, I'm, I'm a good person. How many, how many of you have heard that before? Jesus says, no. That's not it. There's a reason for it. And so the next, next sentence, so the question was, that he asks him is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I have an analogy for you that kind of goes with this here. So you have a house, and you hear a knock on the door. You open the door. You've actually never seen this man before. He's got his bags packed. He has literally everything with him. He says, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm here to live with you from now on. Uh, I'm sorry, but no. But, but wait, I'm, I'm a good person. Here, look, here's my resume. Here's all that I've done. Here's every single work that I've ever done. Look how many charities I've given to you. Look how much time I've served here and here. I'm a good person. Will you let me live with you? What's your answer still going to be? No. no. Why? I don't know you. I don't know you. See, in Matthew 7, 22, this is a sobering part in Scripture. Jesus says this, he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus who is speaking, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a sobering reality. I didn't know you. He's talking about a relationship with you. How much different would it look if you knew this person? You walked with them. You lived with them. You mourned with them. You celebrated with them. You said, come on in. I've known you for years. How much different of an answer would you have? This is the whole point. He needs to know you. And you need to know him. It's not being good that gets you the ticket into heaven. I'm just going to be real with you. The first main point that I have is this. The more we grow in knowing Christ the more of a realization that we will have that, the true, that this statement, no one is good, is true. In other words, 
The more I grow in love with Jesus, the more I realize how deep my sin is. Are you with me? So we're, we just Jesus just establishes that no one is good. And then he provides the young man with an answer to his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We have all asked that question. I asked that question when I sat in the car with Andy eight and a half years ago. What must I do? How, how do I be saved? What must I do? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Then he lists the commandments. And he lists five of the ten. He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man says, all of these I've kept since I'm a boy. I want to focus on just those five commandments. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty convicted when I just read those five. I have lied. I am a thief. I I have committed adultery. I have not honored my father and mother sometimes. So what hope is there for me? Just these four of the five I've got already. You know there are 613 laws and 10 commandments given to the people of Israel to walk out. 613 laws and 10 commandments expected to be walked out. And the book of Hebrews says if you miss one, you miss them all. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. That's shocking. Is it not? See, the law was given to all of us to show two things. How deep sin is and how deeply we needed a Savior. You see, back in biblical era and biblical time, especially in the Old Testament, a high priest during the time of Passover, would go into the temple in the Holy of Holies once a year for the sins of the people and offer the blood of bulls, goats, and lambs for the sacrifice and the atonement for sins. Every single year. Their sins, the people of Israel, this nation, their sins on the outside would be clean, but deep down there is simply death and decay. There needed to be a better atonement, a better sacrifice, a better lamb, a greater high priest. And no one says it best than John the Baptist, who is the last Old Testament prophet right before Jesus' is coming, when he says to his followers, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, his followers, John, John the Baptist's followers, they would have absolutely have understand what he just said. The Lamb of God, the better sacrifice, the better atonement, the better Lamb, the greater high priest. John is literally saying the one that was prophesied hundreds of years by all these Old Testament prophets is here in Jesus. We do have a way. And it's Him, not us. And not by what we do. If you take anything from this sermon, If you don't listen to anything else except this, salvation does not come through works or yourself. It is by Christ alone. He cries out the Lamb of God. Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the Chosen One. That's who he's talking about. The perfect sacrifice. If salvation was achieved through works... There is absolutely no reason for Christ's coming. If, if I could do this on my own, I don't need Christ. And in fact, this man, the young rich ruler, he had that idea. What must I do? And Jesus calls him on him instantly. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what's amazing? So Paul, behind Jesus, is my favorite in all of Scripture. 
he lists his life prior to knowing Christ. It says, of the tribe of Israel, born of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the law, he says, I was faultless. In other words, he achieved what Judaism wanted. But then in the next breath, he says this. He says, but I count it all rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If anyone had its salvation by works, it would have been Paul. But even he understood it wasn't through that. Salvation wasn't through that. Does this make sense? Are you guys tracking with me here? So Jesus establishes that no one is good. And then now, he, now by showing this individual that you've, in reality you have fallen, you have even committed just these few commandments, you are guilty, right? He's established both of this. He then addresses the onlookers with probably one of the most famous statements in Scripture. And we all know this about the camel going through the eye of the needle. And if I'm going a little fast, you know, going a little fast, so bear with me if we get out a little earlier. It's all good too, so. Um, so I want to go to verses 23 and 25. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for a rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we've all heard that one, right? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And quite honestly, it's kind of, it's an interesting, interesting statement for sure. And scholars for years have debated what does Jesus actually mean about all this. There are basically about two camps that scholars kind of sit in. One side is he was speaking absolutely literal and saying just just to demonstrate just how insane it is for someone to work or to have all this wealth to be saved. That was kind of the idea. It's just it's impossible, which I I tend to agree with. But on the other side, there's another camp of scholars who say, well, Back in this time, there was something called a two-way door and where basically the top would open, a bottom would stay closed, the bottom would open, and the top would stay shut. The needle was referred to as the bottom door. And for a camel to go through, he had to go to the knee and crawl. Do you not see? He had to go to a knee. It's humility that the Lord is looking for, not pride. See, there's a distinct difference between pride and humility. Pride says, I am. I am the master of my destiny. I am the one in charge, right? It's I am, it's me, it's me. But what is humility? It says, I am not, he is. I don't have it all together. I have sinned and I have no idea what to do. I am broken and need a savior. That is where we must be. Which reminds me of Luke 18, just just eight verses before in verse 10 where there is a story that Jesus shares about a tax collector and a Pharisee. And I want to read this to you because it ties perfectly into this about about the dichotomy between pride and humility here. The scripture reads, Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a day, and I give tithes of all that I have. But the tax collector, standing far off, 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to ask you a question. This young man who comes to Jesus, his good teacher, do you think he would have responded the way he did, being absolutely upset by Jesus' response, if he truly knew who Jesus was? If he truly knew who Christ was, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who come to save the world, not condemn it, the one who fulfill the law, not abolish the law, right? If he knew who Jesus was, he would have responded like the tax collector and not the Pharisee. Pride. What must I do? I don't have it all together. I need help. Do you see the difference? I want to be on my knees. For Jesus is found at the knees. He's found at the knees. I want you to take a second and remember the story of the crucifixion. But I think there's something that we tend to miss. There were two men who were crucified with Jesus. One on his right and one on his left. In scripture it talks about how they were criminals. They were thieves. Both with the same sentence. They were both thieves. And as they were crucifying them, one on his right or just one on his side, he cried out to Jesus. And he says, aren't you God? Save yourself and us. As if God owed him something. Jesus doesn't even respond to him. And the, the criminal on the other side of Jesus rebukes this criminal. And he says, don't you fear God? Our punishment is just, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Could you? Would you? Remember me. And Jesus responds to him. He says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The same sentence, the same criminal, the same thief, they're both going through the exact same punishment and torture and death. Two totally different responses. Totally different reactions. He understands that he needed help. Aren't you God as if God owed him something? You see, it is the love of God that brings a sinner to repentance. That's exactly what happened with me. And if Jesus can do it with and if Jesus can do it in me, he can do it in you. Because that's exactly what a testimony is. I remember when um, I began to truly question things. Um, my aunt was was murdered, and um, I remember standing in the room, and my brother looked at me and said, how could this have happened? And I didn't have an answer for it. And it broke me. I said, I don't know, but I will find out. Sin is all over. 
Sin is deep and is vast and is wide. But the love of Jesus, it washes over all sin. He is the perfect sacrifice. The perfect atonement for you and me. And I know that this might be doom and gloom, it seems, that I'm just preaching about sin. But in reality, it's the gospel. It's the good news. Yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so if, if we've established this morning that no one is good, no one's righteous, no one has achieved the law, if we've established this, and if, and if we've established that salvation does not come from our works, what hope is there? It's found at Calvary. It's found at the cross where they nailed our king 2,000 years ago. It's found with the nail-pierced hands open, stretched wide for you and me. That's where it's found. You can't earn your salvation. But he earned it for you. How can I keep quiet about the one who brings dead men to life? How could I not look at this Jesus while I did not want Him? He went to a cross for me. How can I not give Him my life? The least I can do is do the same and lay down my life. See, at one point in one day, you will be the one with the bags packed, knocking at the door. And my prayer is that you know him and he knows you. There is something about this Jesus that grips not just me, but an entire generation after generation, and it grips them to the core. The king that was prophesied thousands of years ago an amazing thing. You know, and if if we just stop at the cross, it's a sad, it's a sad thing. But we don't stop there because three days later he rises from the grave. So I could preach about the cross, but we have to add the resurrection in it as well. See, and the resurrection was the stamp of approval to show that Christ was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. If Jesus doesn't rise, our meeting on Sunday means nothing. But if he did rise, it changes everything. Let me ask you a question. When you look just simply at the disciples' life, when Jesus dies, where do they go? They hide, they're afraid, they're fearful. But when they see him and they are fully convinced that he has risen from the grave, the world cannot stop them. Acts 5.42, day by day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you think if Christ did not rise that these men would go so hard for 30 plus years? Would Paul, who was a religious terrorist, turn Christian the same day and preach in the synagogues? Do you think that any of that would have happened? Absolutely not. There's something about this Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection that changes everything. Changes everything. 
So I have one answer for you to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can't do it. Surrender to Jesus. Know Him. Pursue Him. He'll be close to you. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. For the ones who feel that they need to surrender their life to Jesus this morning. This is totally confidential, just between you and the Lord. Will you raise your hand? Say, I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner and I need help. I've been running so far for so long. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Thank you. I see you. The time for salvation is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not in in a month or next year. It's now. Anybody else? Will you pray this silently with me? Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender all that I have. And I know that I have sinned against you. And I thank you for the cross. That you died for me and my sin. And I believe in my heart that you were buried and you rose again in three days, defeating sin and defeating death. And for the rest of my life, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you guys give it up for the Lord and for the ones who gave their lives to Christ? Um, before, before we go into another time of worship, just real quick, I... I want to thank you guys for bearing with me this uh, this morning. And um, as you as you worship the Lord here, be reminded of the cross and what He's done for you. I know I know we hear it all the time, but you can never graduate from the gospel or from the cross. So let us worship Him this morning, just one time. Thank you, guys.